Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and uh, get to be one of the pastors. One of my primary roles here, which we take seriously, is the preaching of the Word of God on Sunday morning. And so, uh, knowing that what I want to do each Sunday, we walk through books of the Bible verse by verse. We're taking a break from that over these next couple of weeks. Uh, doing something different, as Pastor Nick mentioned today, just learning to lament together as a church family. And a lot of times when I'm preparing a sermon, I preach usually for about 35 minutes, and, and I spend probably 10 to 12 hours during a week in my office studying the Word, and then writing a sermon, making some slides to go with it, and all of the, the kind of things that go along with it. About 10 to 12 hours. This week I got significantly less time in my office to do that, but I think in many ways God helped me to prepare for this sermon uh, by spending a lot of time in the hospital, a lot of time uh, in, in people's homes, a lot of time in my office with people that were facing the very real uh, prospect of death in the very near future and then being with people right after a death had taken place. And so, so I feel like God had me in the right place this week. Interestingly, we had this on the calendar uh, weeks ago uh, to have a service focused on lamenting, and there's a number of reasons for us to do that even as a church family today. I'm thankful uh, for the privilege of walking with the church through a number of things like this, so thank you for letting me be your pastor. Um, we live in a culture that I think seems increasingly uncomfortable with death. Many are foregoing funerals and memorial services and just saying, we're going to have a celebration of life at the bar, join us there. We don't want to face death in many ways. And, and we live lives here in this nation of prosperity, and we spend a lot of our time figuring out how we're going to entertain ourselves. And we forget the fact that we are mortal, and that the casual ease of life that many of us enjoy in this country has come through the sacrifices of many. So tomorrow is Memorial Day, and every year our family and many others go to the cemetery here in town, as we do in many cemeteries across our nation, and we remember those particularly who have given their lives in order to protect freedoms that we enjoy. Many just go to cemeteries anyway or around this weekend. And everywhere, if you think about it, everywhere we look, there's memorials of some sort. In a cemetery, gravestones are a type of memorial. You can go to memorials that have stone walls with names etched in on them of those who have died in service. I actually think it's good to go and remember those things. It's good to go to a cemetery. It's good to go to a memorial. It's good to go to a funeral. Uh, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, this. Listen to this. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. There is something about going to a place where other people are mourning. Not avoiding it, but going there and being there with other people in a way that helps us to recognize this is the end of all of mankind. This is where all who are now living will one day head. We are on our way to death at some time or another, and we need to acknowledge that death brings about grief of all kinds. It's not only death that brings about grief and struggle and pain and hopelessness. There's all kinds of circumstances, even short of death, that lead us to a spot where we often feel 
hopeless. So a couple of times every year we take a Sunday and we just acknowledge that and lament together. We last did it in November and for many reasons, like I said, it's fitting to do it today. One pastor just simply calls laments this, prayers in pain that lead to trust. Prayers in pain that lead to trust. And so to get from hurt to hope, we kind of walk on this path of lament. Laments help us wrestle with these things. The fact that we know our God is good and he is sovereign, he can do anything and everything that pleases him, and at the same time, we're broken people living in a broken world. How do we put those two things together? In many ways, I think we lament. The Psalms, the book of Psalms in the Bible, is filled with Psalms of lament. There is a whole book in the Bible filled with a lament, and the book is fittingly in English called Lamentations. That's the book we're going to turn to today. So if you want to open up your Bible and find that, that is squeezed in between the large books of Jeremiah, which is the longest book by number of words in the Old Testament, and the book of Ezekiel. Squeezed in between those two prophets is Lamentations. I want you to go ahead and turn there. This, uh, one, one pastor says this, Lamentations is a memorial to a broken world and a holy God. We need to remember that our God is good and He is holy and He is sovereign and our world is broken and Lamentations helps us with that. We need that today. Let me share the context very briefly before we're going to jump in. The passage we're looking at today, right in the very center of this book. But I want you to know what comes before it. Lamentations is poetry. Okay? And so poetry is different than like a narrative or a story. We read it in a different way. Poetry, in this case, it, as it often is, is very honest. It's raw. It's filled with emotion, and it's filled with pictures and illustrations. It's beautifully structured poetry. And if we could read in Hebrew, it would be even way more beautifully structured than we can see in English. That's the original language in which it was written. Now, let me tell you, this is going to be very important. Let me tell you about the historical situation that leads to the writing of the book of Lamentations. Already in the year 722 B.C., okay, so 722 B.C., the northern kingdom Israel is taken over by Assyria, the world power at the time. Now, by the time we get to Lamentations, it's about 135 years later, and the remaining people of God in the southern kingdom, Judah, have now just been decimated by the world power of the Babylonians. Jerusalem, this beautiful city with Solomon's beautiful temple in it, has been destroyed. What was once beautiful and filled with people has now been reduced to ashes and rubble. And those families, those individuals, ripped out of their homes and forced to go find a home somewhere else. You can imagine the, the setting, kind of like a, a war-torn kind of setting that in which this book is written. We're going to jump into chapter 3, verse 16, but I should let you know that chapters 1 through 2 are filled with darkness, hopelessness. We're just going to get a little sample of a few verses here in chapter 3, verse 16, but that's all it's been for all of the chapters ahead of this. And here's my hope as we go through this today. You're going to notice as we read it a turn in verse 21. And what I hope that we get as we look at this today is that we would learn to be more honest 
about the hopelessness that we sometimes feel. And that we also may learn to argue back and tell ourselves the truth in order that we might grow in hope. So, if you're able to, would you stand? I'm going to pray, then we'll read the Word of God this morning. God, I pray that you would accomplish that. Oh, it seems to me what I've been praying this week is that you would, through your word, by your spirit, help us to learn to be more honest about what hopelessness feels like. And if we're not feeling that ourselves this morning, God, would you help us to recognize that we're sitting around people that are feeling this way? That we recognize that when one member of the body suffers, all suffer with it. And so help us to feel it, not only for ourselves, but for the sake of others. That we may together learn to argue back and tell ourselves the truth about who you are. So that our hope might grow. Grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So today we read Lamentations 3. Starting in verse 16, going through verse 24. Here's what God's word says. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Amen. You can be seated. I knew I was going to go to one of the Psalms of Lament or a place in Lamentations or somewhere on this day, but I wasn't even sure yet on Monday which passage I was going to preach this week until we were in the hospital room. Pastor Nick came with me. We were in the hospital room with Steve Smuck. Uh, and I'd asked Pastor Nick to share some scripture before we prayed together with them. And Pastor Nick didn't bring his Bible. It's like, why would you not bring your Bible if we're doing it? And Pastor Nick had memorized this passage. And this is the passage that Pastor Nick shared with Steve and his family there around his bed. And it made me think, this is what we need to look at this morning. Inside your bulletin, there's an outline if that's helpful for you. This is one that maybe is not so much like, oh, I need to take notes in order to follow along. Maybe you just need to sit and listen and soak it in and ask God to help you feel the pain that maybe some others around us are feeling this morning. Some of you have felt this and maybe are feeling this now, where you, you, the, the way you feel, you don't even actually know how to put it into words. Like you're not feeling right, you're not feeling good, and you don't know how to describe it. A lot of times when people are feeling that way, they'll turn to other people's words. Maybe a poem or often songs, right? We turn to a song that can say what I'm feeling better than I know how to say it right now. And here in Lamentations, we have some poetry that expresses rightly how some people are feeling. And I'm grateful that Scripture 
The Word of God does not shy away from like raw, honest emotion. And you heard it as I read those opening verses. Did you hear the descriptive images used by the author, likely Jeremiah, here? It says in verse 16, He has made my teeth grind on gravel. That's not a pleasant kind of feeling. Our mouths enjoy the sensation of eating a good meal. We don't enjoy the sensation of grinding on gravel. Maybe you've been outside on a very windy day in a field or somewhere else, and it's just kind of blown up in your mouth throughout, and then you start, like, you start moving your mouth. Like, I, I taste gravel. I remember one time riding on my bike on my grandparents' farm, going down a hill and getting a mouthful of gravel as I fell off my bike when I was a little kid. I still remember just for a long time after that, like, oh, there's some more gravel, right? Not a pleasant kind of feeling. That's one of the ways that the author is trying to describe. This is how I feel. Like my teeth are grinding on gravel. Then he says, I cower in ashes. Cowering is, is a, a kind of pushing yourself away from, trying to kind of shrink back and, and like go in a corner away from people. And some of you, when you feel hopeless, that's exactly what you feel like doing. Like, I want to shut myself off from people, and I just want to be alone in my misery. Cowering in ashes, he says. Then he says in verse 17, my soul is bereft or deprived of peace. Like, like inside, deep inside, I'm not feeling peace and wholeness. What I'm feeling deep inside is chaos and turmoil and maybe numbness. But I'm not feeling whole. I'm not feeling peace. That's what the author says he's feeling like. And then he even has this phrase, I have forgotten what happiness is. Verse 17, if some of you have been there, I have forgotten what happiness is. Smiles are fake or forced. Things that used to make you happy just don't make you happy anymore. My endurance has perished, he says in verse 18. My endurance has perished. Like, endurance. Like, I've, I've tried holding on, but I just, my grip's loose. I've tried, like, nose to the grindstone, toughing it out, running on fumes, fake it till you make it. I've tried it all, but I don't think I can make it. I've got nothing left. I'm on empty, and there's no filling station anywhere nearby. So he says, my endurance has perished. And then he says, so has my hope from the Lord. My hope is gone, perished, lost. I can't imagine a better future anymore. I've tried and I can't. It feels hopeless. You feel this? If you don't, know that others do. And they're all around us not just out in the world, but in here today. God uses these descriptive words to help us feel it. Verses 19 and 20 are the beginning of a prayer, but it's a prayer that begins with complaining. That's one thing I've learned in studying these psalms of lament and other lamentations. Like, it's okay to complain to God. Right? He knows what we're feeling and thinking anyway, and often in a psalm of lament, there's just a complaint 
That's what we hear happening here. And then the prayer turns in verse 19. Remember, he's asking God to remember, to call to mind. Remember my affliction and my wanderings. Or your, for your version might even say, my affliction and my homelessness. Remember the reality of the historical situation is they're, they're, they've been ripped out of their homes. Everything reduced to rubble, taken over by the Babylonians. And so literally they are, many of them, homeless. Judah's been destroyed. The temple is gone. Feet swept out from under there. And they're saying, remember me, O God. It feels like you've forgotten us. You remember your people? Then he says, the wormwood and the gall, which is not something we would normally say. He's just referring to bitterness and poison. And it often feels this way. If you felt hopeless for some time, you begin to feel a little bit bitter, a little bit tired of it, a little bit cynical, a little bit skeptical. My soul continually remembers it. That's what it says in verse 20. You see that? My soul continually remembers it. So there's a request. God, would you remember how bad I have it right now? And then he says, my soul continually remembers it. Like, I can't forget it. Maybe, maybe it feels like God's forgotten me, but God, I can't forget. Like, I can't just snap out of it. I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps because I'm barefoot right now. Like, I got nothing left in me. I wake up feeling this way. I go to work feeling this way. I come home feeling this way. And I go to bed at night feeling this way. My soul continually remembers it. That's why some people turn to alcohol, drugs, their phones, whatever it is, to just try to forget things for a while because it feels like I just can't forget. My soul continually remembers it. My soul, it says, is bowed down within me. There in verse 20. You know, you can often tell how somebody's feeling by their posture. Not always. There might be other reasons too. But, but sometimes you can just tell. Like, it's just like they're, they're just kind of bowed down. Like, I don't think they're having a good day. He's saying, my insides are bowed down within me. That's the way I feel. Just slouching, depressed, and down on the inside. So in verses 16 through 20, we get a sense of the hopelessness, what hopelessness feels like for some of you. Maybe it's a day here or there. Maybe it's been a whole season. Maybe you've forgotten what happiness is. And whether this is you right now or you remember a season in your life in the past or maybe anticipating this might still come, we at least need to acknowledge this is what a lot of people around us are feeling like. I can give you stats on how this has really skyrocketed even among and maybe especially among young people in the last number of years. It seems hopeless in many ways if you only read verses 16 through 20. But is that it? Is that how it will always be? Is it hopeless? Well, you heard as we read through this, the turn that happens in verse 21. And in verse 21, we see this turn. It says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Notice that phrase, this I call to mind. All of those other things he was feeling, those just came without working hard at it. He didn't try to feel like my teeth are grinding on gravel. He didn't try to cower in ashes. He didn't try to forget what happiness is. 
He didn't try to live with no peace. Those things just happened. Right? Those things happened. But now he's saying, I need to actively do something. If I don't want to live there forever, then I'm going to need to do something. And what is it that he's doing? What's the active thing? It says this, but this I call to mind. My soul continually remembers how I'm really feeling, and so I'm going to have to be intentional about calling to mind, remembering, telling myself something different. Like everything coming at me and everything inside of me is not going to be enough for me to get out of this pit that I'm in. I'm going to have to call to mind something that I know for sure to be true. Because I don't know if my circumstances are going to turn around and get better. I just don't know that. I don't know if I have what it takes in me. Right? That's our culture's message. Like, you got what it takes in you. Like, you, like well, maybe I don't feel like I do. I'm on empty. Right? And so what does the author here do? He says, but this I call to mind. I actively do something. I'm calling something to mind. I have an intention. What is it that he's calling to mind? Because he says, and therefore I have hope. So just a little bit ago, he says, my hope is gone. My hope has perished. I've got no hope. And all of a sudden now he's got hope. Well, what happened? Well, he's calling something to mind. What is it that he's calling to mind? He's calling this to mind. Some things that are true about the character of God. Look at verse 21. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He calls this to mind. I've been hurt, betrayed by all kinds of other people, but this is what I know. The God who makes and keeps promises. The God who is always with me. The God who is for me and not against me. The steadfast covenant faithfulness. The love of the Lord is with me. It never ceases. And then he says, His mercies never come to an end. God is not sick of me. He does not give up on me. I'm on empty, but He is not. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I might wake up in the morning feeling hopeless, not even wanting to get out of bed, with nothing changing in my circumstances in that day, and I can't make myself happy, but I can remind myself, I can call to mind that His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Others have failed me, I have failed, but He has not failed me and He never will. He is who He says He is and everything He does I can trust is good and is right. So the conclusion, and I love this, verse 24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. If I get nothing else for my portion, if nothing else that seems good is allotted to me, but I have the Lord, then the Lord is my portion, therefore I will have hope. He is what I most need. If I have nothing else but I have Him, I have everything that I need. He is my hope. I love this passage. I hope it's been helpful for you. A couple of things to maybe make it hit home. I think one thing we learn from a passage like this 
is that we have permission to be honest about how we really feel. Remember that this was just a sampling. I started in chapter 3, verse 16. But before this, there were 59 more verses that felt pretty dark and pretty hopeless. So if you're feeling today like your teeth are grinding on gravel and like you want to just cut yourself off from other people and sit alone in your misery, if you feel like I've got no peace, I don't remember what happiness feels like, I'm on empty, the future seems dark, You've come, you're starting to feel yourself becoming a bit bitter and cynical and you don't know how to shake it on your own. Don't pretend that that's not how you feel. Be honest about it. The book of Lamentations, the Psalms of Lament, the book of Ecclesiastes are in God's Word on purpose. Be honest with others and with God about the depth of your despair and your feelings of hopelessness. We're told that Jesus is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He gets it. So it's okay to grieve. But I'm thankful that 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, We do not grieve as those who have no hope. And so that would be my other encouragement. Tim Keller, who died at age 72 last week of pancreatic cancer, once said this, We may hear our hearts say, it's hopeless, but we should argue back. We should say, well, that depends on what you're hoping in. Was that the right thing to put so much hope in? Argue back. Our hearts might say, we might feel very real, hopeless. But we are to argue back, to tell ourselves the truth, to call to mind the truths about God's character, to call to mind that we do have a Lord whose love is steadfast. We do have a Lord who is faithful. We do have a Lord whose mercies do not come to an end. Now think about this. The author of Lamentations, like I said, most likely Jeremiah, he knew this uh, to be true of the Lord 600 years before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? He knew that the Lord's love was steadfast. He knew that the Lord was faithful. He knew that the Lord's mercies would never come to an end. 600 years before the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do we know? Can we have even more confidence than Jeremiah did? Do we have more evidence to prove that what Jeremiah knew to be true 2,600 years ago, we know to be true today? That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? That the Lord's faithfulness is great? That His mercies never come to an end? Yes, we do. Because these things are reiterated to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we live with hope. We call to mind these kinds of truths. And that's what I want to end by doing today. And I'm going to end by turning to Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. That's in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2. And there we're reminded of the hopelessness of the situation of every human being apart from Christ. Again, very honest. Scripture not kind of candy-coating the reality of suffering and death and the consequences of sin. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. It's not just like, man, you were a pretty good person. And you just had some rough edges that needed to be sanded off a little bit. No, you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, right? That's all of us. We, we come into the world just being like everybody else in the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Right? This is what people do. This is the world. This is us. We do whatever our body and mind says we should do. And we were, here's the consequence, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is where we were. You want to talk about hopeless? That sounds hopeless. You want to hear some hope? Again, the hinge is the word but. We saw it in Lamentations 3.21 and we see it here in Ephesians 2 verse 4. It says, but God. But God. Being rich in mercy. Remember, we heard that back in Lamentations. His mercies never come to an end. You want to know God's mercy? You turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He loved us. I want to talk about steadfast love. How do we know what love is? How do we know what mercy is? Here's why we know it. Even when we were dead, not just feeling hopeless, dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God is rich in mercy. His love is steadfast. His love is so great that even sinners, dead sinners like us, dead in our sin, deserving His wrath, we can know Him as one who is rich in mercy, pouring out His love for us in the person of His Son who died on the cross for us, that we might be, just as He was raised from the dead, made alive together with Christ, seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. This is what God does, saves us, not by our works, but by His grace, through faith. And if you want to know what love is, that's what love is. If you want to receive mercy, receive Jesus. You want to be made alive? You want to live with hope both now and for all of eternity? I don't know any hope to give you that will last beyond the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. So would you today, if you have not, you came in here without that kind of hope, would you acknowledge that every path you've tried to walk down has hopelessness and destruction at the end and today you desire to turn and follow Jesus. To be saved from your sin, not by your works, but by His grace. He is our hope. He is our hope in life and in death. I spent a lot of time with Steve and his family over these last weeks. Grateful that Steve trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior so that he could live and die with hope. Earlier we sang this. 
what a blessed hope. Though now tired and worn, we will spend eternity around our Savior's throne. Though we grieve our losses, we grieve not in vain, for we know our crown of glory waits beyond the grave. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we're thankful that you know who we are. We're thankful that we can't hide anything from you, and we don't want to. You know us. We're broken people living in a broken world, and for some here today, it feels hopeless. They're tired, they're worn, they're grieving, they're lonely, they're depressed. It feels hopeless. Father, would you help us all to argue with our feelings? Would you help us to call to mind the truth about who you are? That you are a God whose steadfast love never ceases. That your mercies are new every morning. That your faithfulness is great. That you are our portion. And we will hope in you. We know this is true because we see it most clearly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as your gospel is heard this morning, it would, it would give hope to those who are hopeless, and it would give new life to those who need to repent and trust in Jesus. Father, we pray that you would hold us because we don't trust ourselves. We know that our grip is weak. We often fear, we often doubt, we have not much left in ourselves. But I thank you that your grip is strong, that no one can snatch us out of your hands, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're able, please stand.